Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shiv Vivani, and today in Raise the Line, I'm delighted to be joined by my close friend and mentor and the godfather of Osmosis, Peter Frischoff. Peter is a highly influential information and high-tech entrepreneur, best known as the founder of Medscape, the most visited professional medical website in the world. He's currently an investor, board member, advisor, speaker, and leader in New York's vibrant startup culture in healthcare, media, and the life sciences. We'll be touching on just a few of the dizzying number of organizations Peter has either created, led, or been involved with in his long and successful career. I'm also looking forward to getting his perspective on COVID's impact on our healthcare system. Thanks so much for being with us today, Peter. My pleasure, Shiv. So I obviously know a lot about you and your background, but for our audience, uh, can you tell us a bit more about what got you started in journalism and then healthcare? Sure. I got started in journalism because I guess I was a pre-med dropout. You know, I came from a long line of, come from a long line of physicians, including my mother, grandfather, sisters, uncles, and cousins. Grew up in a medical household. Uh, My father was an electrical engineer and patent attorney, so I had a few tech and engineering influences in my blood. Both my parents were World War II refugees who made it to the US sponsored by, by Quakers. So, and I was pre-med in the tumultuous, rebellious 1960s. And I dropped out of that track in favor of journalism. I was good at science and science writing and gravitated towards that. But I stayed friends with peers who went on to become physicians the rebellious part of me and of some of my friends, that that never left. It feels like everyone knows you, and you've introduced so many people to osmosis uh, at the intersection of that, including our, our board member, Mitch uh, Rothschild, who's been very influential at osmosis. So the thing you're most known for in, the, in our community is starting Medscape, uh, which, as I mentioned in the intro, is the most successful, um, most visited professional medical website in the world. Can you tell us a bit about the history of starting Medscape and then anything else you want to mention about how it's grown since then? Sure. Well, I'll give you a, a short take. Uh, for a long form, you should go to Medscape and search for Medscape the first five years. It's an article that George Lundberg published on the site for its 10th year anniversary in 2005. We started the site in 1995. So we'll put that in the show notes and look for Medscape the first five years. But uh, the short take of how Medscape came to be really starts in 1982 in SCP Communications, which was a medical journal and medical education company that I started. And SCP was the birthplace of Medscape. And uh, it's important because SCP innovated what we call the electronic newsroom, which was a radical concept in 1982. And Back in 1982, before many in our audience were even born, there were no PCs and Macs. Yes, there was such a time. And on a shoestring, we assembled a mini computer system from parts and everyone on our staff, from editors to the sales force to the receptionist, had a terminal on their desk and we were communicating on a single data set. Much like today, a group of people might collaborate on Google Docs, But back then, people all worked on typewriters, great innovation from the early 20th century, and no one had any idea what anyone else was doing. And the notion of collaboration was a foreign concept in publishing as well as elsewhere. 
So, you know, this was 35 years ago and we designed the electronic newsroom, this workspace that was radical in 1982. And, you know, architecturally it was an open office and today that's standard fare. But uh, back then that was also an innovation. So it was no accident that SCP launched Medscape in 1995 and our peers in medical publishing from the New England Journal of Medicine to the McGraw Hills and other academic STEM publishers, Wiley and JAMA, you know, they were basically asleep at the switch. And we knew how to both produce, assemble and publish and work together electronically and that's really what gave SCP the edge in launching Medscape in 1995. Yeah, and some of those early days of the innovations you, you led at Medscape with people like Vin Keen and others you've introduced me to have been very helpful for us at Osmosis. Um, I know you all have looked at us, our processes for how do we create, update, edit uh, our videos. So we've sort of been an extension of a lot of the things you innovated on in the late 20th century. So Medscape's turned 25 this year, and uh, obviously there's been a big celebration around that. How would you assess the role that Medscape plays today? I know it to be the largest online provider of continuing medical education is just one milestone, but what are the other things you'd like to uh, describe about the role Medscape plays? Well, I think that the big distinction of Medscape from many, many other parts of what is still known as the literature is that it is designed to be patient care oriented. And, you know, that's a very bottom line for me and for Medscape and for sites like Osmosis as well to help clinicians understand how to deliver better patient care. You know, that's what it's really all about. And it's those clinical medicine skills and presenting them in a way which is memorable and even fun, you know, that's really what makes what we do so rewarding. And back in the very first uh, medical journal that I edited when I was 26 years old, a house staff journal called Hospital Physician, we tried to do that as well. We would do these little charts. One was called Nasorio DX, how to diagnose by smell, you know, like, so what do you think of if your patient smells of shoe polish or almonds? And I could just, you know, visualize an osmosis video doing that, that today, but very patient care oriented. You know, what do you do if you're in a hospital, a city hospital, and you find a roach in the ear of your preemie who crawled into the incubator. I mean, it's the kind of thing that you don't really get a lot of information or teaching from the text or the, the literature. So we would do these little illustrated things called Here's How I Do It, which would show you how to remove the roach and not hurt your newborn little baby. So Medscape is patient care oriented. They talk about patient care issues, both in clinical medicine, in terms of social impact, in terms of policy, they do those things very, very well. And from the top of the organization, from the editorial organization, people like Eric Topol and George Lundberg, who I'm proud to say is still there after I was able to lure him 
into the organization in, in the 90s after he was fired from uh, JAMA. Uh, thank you, AMA. Best thing that you ever did for us. And it's patient care oriented. It's helping clinicians deliver better patient care in a way which is very, very significant. You know, the New England Journal has been around since 1812 and, and Medscape just since 1995. But many, many more millions of clinicians and clinicians in training are getting their information from Medscape. And it's accessible to people for free all over the world. And that's really, really important, too. So it very much leveled the playing field for lots of people delivering patient care much as osmosis does today with a different take, but there are many similarities. Absolutely. And we've, we've learned a lot from Medscape, not only from you and then your, your successors there, but also through partnerships where like we've often published our student blogs on their Medscape med students. And then they also, you know, occasionally, or I think on a weekly basis, publish an osmosis video on Medscape. So we have a very thriving partnership with them and would like to thank you for that. So switching gears to another company you helped found, Crossix, which uses a proprietary technology to perform analytics on healthcare data. Can you tell us the story behind that and what contribution do you think Crossix has been making to the industry? Well, the entrepreneur behind uh, Crossix, a friend of mine, Asaf Evanayam, who I worked with at Medscape for a bit, had this idea that privacy-safe measurement and analytics was something very, very important in healthcare for healthcare research, where privacy is very important, but where there's lots and lots of data and information which is targeted to primarily consumers where privacy is a big deal. So even in terms of uh, medical advertising to consumers and being able to reach those consumers where the message is relevant. In other words, well, let me start with an example of where it may not be relevant. Putting ads on television to massive audiences for lung cancer treatments that are not targeted at all to people who might have lung cancer or, or ED therapy. There's, a, you know, this is this is both a waste, largely a waste of, of money and an annoyance. You want to reach people who you have some sense of whose interest is aligned with, with those who might be using your product. So that's hard to do in healthcare where privacy is an issue because you can't identify somebody personally. But there are ways of doing it, very much like exit polling is able to target groups of people with common interests. So um, Asaf came up with a technology which was patented to be able to help those entities, payers, pharma companies, other researchers, reach people who are interested in a message, patented that technology. We worked together with a HIPAA attorney to make sure that it was following both the letter and the spirit of privacy protection. It turned out that it was. And I helped Crossix both raise the financing round and joined as board chairman. 
and stayed in that role until the company was sold to Viva last year. Asaf and the key management of CrossX remain at the company and they're all doing great. So that was great timing, obviously, um, end of 2019 and now 2020, the world has completely shifted. So switching gears now again to COVID, uh, you're as well informed on COVID as anyone I know, and obviously have a pretty broad perspective on healthcare. You've been a constant source of information for both Rishi, our chief medical officer, and me and the, the entire osmosis team. What do you think the most significant lasting impacts of COVID will be on the healthcare system here in the U.S.? Okay, well, you're generous with flattery. I hope but I don't know as much as other people that you know, certainly not as much as Rishi. You know, I I think it kind of comes back to a focus on what really matters in terms of delivering better patient care. And many of us are policy logistics issues that we have screwed up terribly in the U.S. and wind up hurting clinicians and patients, the lack of personal protective equipment on on clinicians, there's just absolutely no excuse for that. I mean, it's not a scientific issue, but it really shows how broken much of our delivery system is. A good friend of mine who was a, a Medscape intern, and I will mention her name because she's a healthcare hero, Violetta Michelle Pantaleon. She works at the Indian Health Service in New Mexico. She's a nurse. She told me uh, yesterday that they're required to clean their gloves six times before a change because they were so short of equipment at the Indian Health Service Hospital. There's just no excuse for that kind of thing that absolutely has to be fixed. And you know what? Clinicians who blow the whistle on this, they need to be protected too. So one of the things that I think we really need is we need kind of a whistleblower protection act for those working in healthcare who are put in dangerous positions where it's really unnecessary. There's just no excuse for that. It shouldn't be tolerated, and we have to fix it. You know, the other thing is we've seen a lot of innovation and reporting and fast publishing and peer review, and the whole development of vaccine is a, is a tribute to how quickly we can change if we really put our mind to it. So it's such a mixed bag because in so many areas, we've done such an excellent job in being resourceful and being innovative. And in other areas, in in the lack of testing, the stupidity of both the CDC putting out tests which were faulty initially, and now the FDA not being Johnny on the spot in terms of, of approving rapid, inexpensive testing, which is a big, big issue. And there are so many best practices around the world which point to better ways in Taiwan and South Korea and many other countries that have far fewer resources than we do, Vietnam being another example. So those things that are wrong really need to be fixed. Those things that are right need to be 
celebrated and promoted. And we really need to take a close, careful look at what's working, what isn't. Let's eliminate what isn't and promote what is and get on to dealing with this in a far better way. And of course, we have massive, massive equity issues in the Navajo Nation, where my friend is working in black and brown communities. And these are all huge issues that we have to deal with. It's not that the Navajo or black or brown people are genetically disposed to being more vulnerable to COVID. It's that we send them to lousy schools, we feed them a crappy diet. We don't teach them about diet and exercise. So of course they grow up with chronic diseases. They're more vulnerable. They're more obese. There's no reason for that. Our best athletes are from these identical populations. They know how to take care of themselves. They're, they're, they're not sick. This is not a genetic destiny. This is a social destiny, and we need to do a lot better in terms of fixing that. Because whatever we do in healthcare, it is the consumer. It is teaching them about diet and exercise that, in the end, is going to do much more to improve patient care than tweaking our intubation techniques and making a better ventilator. I couldn't agree more. And two points on that I would like to share. One is the vaccines being rolled out as we're doing this podcast. And uh, I've never seen so much discussion around equity uh, and equity of distribution of the vaccine. So clearly, maybe because of the George Floyd incident and all the, the racial reckoning we've seen this year, that's been front and center. And the second thing, you know, on your point about educating the public and getting getting them, you know, the resources they need to be healthier. You know, we call this podcast raise the line about how to improve access and capacity of the healthcare system, the nurse shortages, the PPE shortages you mentioned. However, one really important point and one reason medical publishing is so important in medical information, which you've dedicated your career to, is uh, that we wouldn't need as much healthcare and healthcare professionals if we were able to pass the baton in a meaningful way to the consumers and the patients, right? If they flatten the curve, we wouldn't have to raise line as much. And that's not their fault. It's just the, the fault of the systems that you've talked about, the inequitable access to good quality food or, uh, or exercise and, and those kind of things. So I just wanted to riff on two of those points you had mentioned. 100%. And you know what? One of the greatest innovations and that I'm proudest of with Medscape is that from day one, it was open to everybody, consumer or clinician. Now, in 1995, this was an absolutely radical concept that a lot of physicians and academicians hated this notion. You're going to let patients have access to the same information their, their doctors have. So Medscape started that way, and to this day, it's open to everyone. So another great innovation, Wikipedia and Osmosis's collaboration with Wikipedia there's another wonderful thing that I'm very proud of Osmosis for doing. And in fact, in addition to Vin Keen, Amin Azam of Osmosis, who brilliantly innovated with his medical students at UC Berkeley, 
to teach them to become digital citizens and edit the medical content pages on Wikipedia. So really, you know, the, the medical information on Wikipedia is a very high standards, thanks in part to Wiki Project Medicine and people like Amin Azam of Osmosis, who is teaching medical students how to edit Wikipedia articles, a trend which has now been picked up by dozens of, of health sciences universities around the world, pharmacy schools, you know, from Israel to Australia and every place in between. So educating consumers with trusted information on an open platform, and these include, you know, Medscape, Wikipedia, and Osmosis, is critical to improving healthcare for, for everyone. And teaching kids in school what constitutes good healthcare, what constitutes a good diet, you know, why it is such a tragic mistake to be addicted to junk food and poor food and how to deal with that using, you know, using your brain, using resources on a policy government level, making sure that we're not subsidizing crappy food and that, you know, a pound of broccoli should never, never be more expensive than a pound of meat, which it is in today's agricultural ecosystem. So those are all things that we have to change that are going to make a much bigger difference in, in healthcare than anything we do in clinical medicine, as important as, as that is, because we want to take care of the sick. But even more important is we want to keep people healthy. And to the extent that we can prevent sickness, we can do a lot more good. Definitely. Couldn't agree more. And again, Amin and Vin, because you mentioned both of them, are the reason we got connected. Uh, if you remember, Vin sent you osmosis early on, and Amin uh, also mentioned osmosis. And I think those two references to osmosis had us get connected on, on LinkedIn, and the rest has been history, as they say. I know we're coming up in time, so I have two other questions for you. The first is, as you know, osmosis has many, many students and early career health professionals in our audience. What's your advice to them about meeting the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic and approaching their career in healthcare? Well, I would say they should question everything while they keep learning and do their very best to improve patient care. And if they think there's a better way of doing something, they should investigate that. And if it turns out that they're right, they should go ahead and do that. As I said, I, I grew up in the rebellious 1960s. We wouldn't have an NP and a PA profession if it wasn't for the rebellious people in the 60s. And now NPs and PAs deliver more primary care than, than physicians. That was a time when to be an emergency room doctor was looked down upon. And now it's a a specialty that's a prime resource for the delivery of, of primary care in the country and a very respectable, respected, important, critical specialty. And that's because the people involved who were the pioneers of the PA profession, the NP profession, 
emergency medicine as a specialty, they knew there was a better way to deliver patient care that could help tens of millions of people and do it. So for clinicians in training, question everything. Your ideas might be stupid, they might be brilliant. And if they're brilliant, you owe it to the universe of people out there to test out your ideas and push on them a bit and see what proves out. Finally, I would say, you know, I have a lot of skepticism for academics because, you know, and there are a lot of academics who care dearly about good patient care and, and I love them, but I don't love the ones who aren't really focused on better patient care, the publish or perish crowd, the impact factor crowd. Another early Medscape alum, uh, Ivan Aransky, who publishes Retraction Watch. Every single day, he keeps academic medicine and academic journals accountable. The impact factor, publish or perish, tenure systems, those aren't any things that are basically in the public interest. So to clinicians in training, keep your eye raised, skeptical at those practices that aren't really helping the public interest, that aren't helping patient care, and keep learning from sites like Osmosis that really do. That's my advice. That's awesome advice. Thanks for sharing that, Peter. And my last question, is there anything else you'd like our audience to know about you or your career or anything else we haven't covered? Well, one of the things I, you know, I'm going to, I guess, end with a recommendation. Fire up your Netflix account and watch the Trial of the Chicago 7, the Sorkin uh, movie, which has uh, Sasha Barracon playing Abby Hoffman. Abby Hoffman, one of the brilliant bipolar people of the 1960s, uh, is played by Sasha Byrne Cohen in that movie. And uh, one of my heroes who tragically died due to his bipolar disease in a suicide. There's a lot to learn from that era. And remember that the next time you work alongside a PA or an NP, if you are a physician, or if you are an NP or a PA, that's has a lot to do with where you came from. It was ideas like that, that really did have their roots in the time when I was a young adult in the 60s and 70s. And we can learn a lot from that history. I love that movie as well. And Sasha Baron Cohen was fantastic in it. And, and I actually did not know that NPNPA history came from that period. It makes you wonder in this 2020s period, what careers in the next 20, 30, 40 years will be essential, as essential as NPs and PAs are? Is it health coaches or, you know, what we're doing at Osmosis Nursing Assistants um, that we're trying to train up in a dramatic fashion? So, Peter, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. And, and really, I'd like to thank you not only for taking the time to be on the podcast with us today, but more importantly, for all the work that you've done dating from way before Osmosis Days to raise line and flatten the curve and improve medical literacy for maybe hundreds of millions of people, maybe even billions of people worldwide. So thanks for all you do. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Shiv. And thank you for all you do.
But with that, I'm Shiv Gaglani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line since we're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>